everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, well, thank you for asking. I'm doing okay. You know how, as a, like, conversational icebreaker, people will sometimes ask you, if you could have any superpower, what superpower would it be? Well, for years, I had a set answer for that, and I still think it's a pretty good answer. My answer had always been the ability to make people poop their pants by pointing a finger at them, and specifically, it was a power that would work over television, obviously only for live broadcasts. I mean, I don't want to get ridiculous with this magic power. I can't make Ricky Ricardo poop his pants. Although, it would be pretty funny to see him get that look on his face that's like, oh, looks like I've got some splaining to do. Anyway, like I said, pretty good answer. But over the past few years, you know, I've uh, grown and matured a lot, although I am still quite young. And I realized that as great a power as that would be, The thing that maybe appealed to me the most about it is a secondary power, which I think would be more useful in a number of different situations, and that is the power of plausible deniability. The more I think about it, that's what I really want, and that's really all I've ever wanted. Plausible deniability. Just saying the phrase kind of chills me out a little bit. It's like my own personal Hakuna Matata. I mean, in the initial scenario that I outlined, one of the best parts would be nobody would ever think that you were the person that had made that politician or whoever poop their pants. And so if you just had across-the-board plausible deniability for any situation, oh my goodness, think how relaxed you could be. Nobody could ever yell at you for anything. With a superpower like that, I would join the Justice League. Probably wouldn't go on many missions with him. I'd just always do monitor duty. And if I didn't feel like monitor duty, I wouldn't get in trouble for it. Superman would interview me for the job. He'd be like, and what is your superpower? And I would say, I have the greatest power of all. The power of plausible deniability. And he'd stand there in stunned silence for a second and then be like, wait a minute. Are you just trying to scam your way onto this team so that you can get on her health insurance? And I'd be like, I might not be. They'd be like, damn, you're good. Anyway, we should probably get on with the rest of the show, which, as far as you know, I worked very hard on. So without any further ado, let's uh do this. Today's synopsis rhyme comes to us from Mark Paglia. The Titans must politely humor Terry Long, going on about his newly published treatise, a work of questionable scholarship, with citations not supporting his top thesis. No scholar will even read the paper's abstract, so now let's hear Hub's much better synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Mark. And before we get into today's synopsis, I did just want to give a quick content warning. The issue we're covering in today's episode does deal with some potentially pretty upsetting subject matter, 
Uh, there is a scene in which one of the main characters is coerced into a sexual situation. And I believe it does also come up that Raven was conceived as the result of a sexual assault. So just wanted to put that out there. It does come up briefly in the synopsis and in the conversation that follows it. So just be aware. New Titans, number 67, July 1990. Fatal Attraction, part two. If looks could kill. I was honestly fairly surprised that there wasn't a direct-to-video sequel to Fatal Attraction made called Fatal Attraction 2, starring, like, Treat Williams and Shannon Tweed or something, but apparently there isn't. Written by Marv Wolfman and George Perez, drotted by Tom Grummet, inked by Al Vey, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Jonathan Peterson and Mike Carlin. New Titan Roll Call Raven Jericho Troya Starfire Previously in the New Titans An indeterminate amount of comic book time ago, the Titans were hanging out at Star Labs and decided to kill some time by watching Cyborg's girlfriend slash physical therapist Dr. Sarah Charles perform a medical examination on a jerkwad with a big penis. After the exam, the jerkwad introduced himself as Eric Forrester and offered to do sex at the Lady Titans with his aforementioned big penis. The ladies declined this offer, but Raven seemed more flattered than offended. A smaller indeterminate amount of comic book time later, Raven confided in Jericho that she had started dating Eric and that they were very happy together. She made Joey promise to keep her relationship a secret from the rest of the Titans because Eric was concerned that he had made a poor first impression. Joey agreed to keep Raven's secrets, but the two Titans had to take some time off from their tete-a-tete to foil a bank robbery. During this crook-clobbering kerfuffle, Raven's powers went all wackadoo, inadvertently causing both Joey and the criminals to suffer intense pain. Raven was understandably upset, and the avian-themed empath decided to make a hasty departure, surmising as she left that her magical nonsense powers were probably out of alignment because she had a cold or something. This in itself was cause for alarm, as Raven had never before experienced any form of illness. She called Eric to cancel their date to ensure that she did not infect him, but Eric ignored her request and showed up at her apartment anyway, insisting that he never got sick. They made out for a little bit, but when things started to escalate, Raven insisted that she wasn't ready for a more physical relationship yet. Back at the Titan Tower, Joey began to suspect that Raven's newly manifested malady was somehow connected to her big-dicked bow. He used the Titan's computer to look up information on Eric and soon found that the electronic files on the large-membered Lothario were strangely incomplete. So he stole Dr. Sarah Charles's diary and read that. The diary entries regarding Eric seemed to contradict the computer files, so Joey broke his promise to Raven and told all the other Titans about the Azerathian Enchanter's clandestine love affair. The gang thought Eric was a jerk and staged an impromptu intervention to share their concerns. When Raven arrived at the Titans' T-shaped skyscraper, she was incensed both by Joey's betrayal of her confidence and by the rest of the team's judgmental interference. She angrily pointed out that if Eric's affection was insincere or posed any threat, her nonsense magical powers would inform her of that. 
Worried that the discussion was getting too heated, Speedy helpfully offered to shoot Raven with some arrows. Surprisingly, this proposed murder did little to de-escalate the situation. Raven stormed off angrily to the dimension she goes to to yell about her feelings, and most of the Titans hung out and moped about the fact that they'd fucked up so badly. Joey, however, chose a more proactive, if seemingly random, course of action. He sought out one of his mother's old spy contacts and began the process of tracking down Raven's missing mother, Arella. When Raven finished her extra-dimensional feelings yells, she went home and called Eric. She offered to teleport over to his apartment, but the well-endowed wastrel was vehemently opposed to this plan, insisting that his apartment was far too messy, and that he would be at her place momentarily. But the real reason Raven's prodigiously penised paramour was hesitant to have a visitor was likely connected to the fact that lying in his bed was the desiccated nude corpse of a woman named Barbara. Gadzooks! Is there a perfectly innocent explanation for the dead body in Eric's bed? How will Joey atone for betraying Raven's trust? And what has Raven's mamarella been up to lately? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... No, there sure isn't. By finding her mother and betraying her trust. And starting a cult in rural Wyoming. A disheveled man leads a group of police officers to a landfill just outside of New York. One of the cops is like, I don't like it here, it's stinky. The disheveled guy is like, well, it's a dump, so... yeah. Anyway, I was out here scavenging when I found this body. Creepy, huh? The cops are forced to agree that the desiccated husk of what was once a young woman is indeed creepy. The corpse is shriveled to the point that it is unidentifiable, but a brief examination of the body reveals that the woman was wearing a bracelet bearing the initials E.F. Hmm... E.F. I sure hope famed German psychologist Eric Fromm has a damn good alibi. Huh? Oh, yeah, I guess dying in 1980 would qualify as a damn good alibi. If only there were someone else we knew who had the initials E.F. Oh, well. Eric Forrester is making out with Raven in her apartment. She breaks for air and is like, I'm sorry, Eric, I'm just not feeling it right now. I have some kind of a cold and it's freaking me out a little bit. Eric is like, oh, yeah, well, that's totally cool. I, I get it. I'll go make you some tea or something. He goes into the kitchen, puts a kettle on, and is like, damn it, that stupid cold's gonna ruin everything for me. Okay, just calm down and bide your time, me. You don't want to make her suspicious when you're this close to getting just what you want. He turns on the easy listening station just in time to hear a news report about cops finding a shriveled up corpse at the dump. Eric smirks to himself as he listens to this story. The next news item is that the mayor says he isn't going to raise the sales tax. When he hears this, Eric blows up the radio with his mind. Which is, I guess, a thing he can do. Man, this guy must really love a sales tax. I'm starting to think he might be a bad guy. Meanwhile, Starfire and Coriander are on a photo shoot in Bermuda. Donna is like, 
Coriander, you've been distracted and fidgety all day. What gives? Starfire is like, sorry, I guess I'm just thinking about how Raven yelled at us and stormed off and I think quit the team or something. Donna's like, oh, right. I guess that is a thing that happened. Sorry, when I'm at work, I tend to forget about everything else. Tell you what, it's just about sunset. Let's quit for the day. Then I can go back to having feelings. The two titans take a walk down the beach. Starfire is like, I think I'm extra sensitive about Raven because this whole thing reminds me of Franklin Crandall, the guy I was engaged to who was murdered and then it turned out he was kind of evil. Remember him? Donna's like, I feel like I'm supposed to say yes, right? Starfire is like, yeah. Donna's like, okay, then yes, I do remember him. Meanwhile, Joey has managed to track Arella down to a ranch in rural Wyoming. He takes a tiny plane to Jackson Hole <laughs> and is greeted at the airstrip by a young woman named Sally Liab. Sally gives him a ride to the Circle A Ranch, where Arella is staying with a group of young people that she is providing spiritual guidance to. You know, a cult. Sally knows sign language, which is nice, but it's also kind of a moot point because I'm pretty sure that during their hour or so long drive, Joey doesn't manage to get a single word in edgewise. Sally is like, nice to meet you. You're probably wondering how I came to be out here, huh? Well, I used to live in Dallas, but there was a recession caused by the oil business doing poorly, so I started doing a lot of drugs, like a lot of drugs, and having a ton of really freaky sex, like seriously weird shit. Then I was in a string of abusive relationships, considered a career in music, but never actually learned to play any instruments or sing, so that was kind of a non-starter. Then I traveled around for a little bit and eventually bumped into Arella, who we all just call Boss. The Boss taught all of her followers how to meditate and gain spiritual and emotional enlightenment. We're totally cut off from the outside world here, so I have no idea how you got in touch with her and managed to arrange this trip within the course of a few days, seeing as we have no phones or computers or anything. But it's probably better that we're cut off from everyone who isn't the boss. At least that's what she tells us. She provides for all of our needs. And she got us these neat sneakers. Anyway. And so on. Eventually, they arrive at the ranch. Arella gives Joey a fairly brusque greeting and is like, <sighs> All right. What's my daughter done now? Is she evil again? With Sally translating, Joey fills Arella in on what's been going on lately and asks why Arella left and how she's been keeping her location a secret. Arella is like, Look, I skipped out on Raven for her own good. She needs to learn to toughen up and take care of herself. If I was around, she'd want me to protect her. Basically, I didn't give her any life skills when she was a kid, and now I'm annoyed that she doesn't have any. So I skip town and put a psychic shield over myself that keeps her from finding me. You know, for her own good. Then I started this cult. I, I mean, a spiritual awareness collective that just happens to have a strong central leader who is looked upon with a level of esteem that is essentially worship. Neat, huh? Now, what's this about Raven getting a cold? That's impossible. Her bird-shaped soul tummy totally protects her from any potential illness. At this point, Joey pauses to place a FaceTime call to his mom's spy friend on his graphing calculator. His mom's friend Marta is like, Hey Joey, so that Eric guy you wanted me to look into is into some shady computer shit with some corporate bigwigs. Also, some cops found the desiccated husk of a corpse that had a bracelet with the initials EF on it.
Oh, I get it. EF, Eric Forrester. Well, this is a relief for Ella Fitzgerald fans everywhere. Back in New York City, Eric and some corporate-looking dude with a buzz cut and a gun walk into the headquarters of a company called Allenberg Electronics. The buzz cut guy is worried about security seeing them on video camera, but Eric tells him that he's got that covered. Indeed, we see that the security monitors are showing that no one is there. Interesting. Eric strolls up to the building's main giant computer, strips down to his undies, and starts shooting green lightning out of his body. Well, all right then. The nearly nude no goodnik's eyes flash green and are suddenly filled with microcircuits. He's like, Oh yeah, computery shit feels good. So good. Too good. All the computers and office chairs in the room explode in what one can only assume is some kind of an electronic orgasm. The buzzcut guy is like, What happened? Eric is like, Shut up, idiot. I just computered too hard at these computers and electricityed all over myself. Now I've got to figure out a way to person myself up again. So help me get in this space shuttle we have parked on the roof for some reason and let's sneak out of here. The buzzcut guy is like, um, none of that makes a lick of sense, but neither does the fact that you just full body jizzed computerness all over this office building. So, okay. A short while later, a middle-aged businessman arrives home at his fancy suburban mansion. He is greeted by a group of tough guys we last saw hanging out with Joey's mom's friend, Marta. The lead tough guy points a gun at the businessman's head and is like, Hello, Mr. Allenberg. We need to talk. Oh, Allenberg. Like the uh, electronics company that Eric just electrospermed on. Huh. Later that night, Raven is meditating and trying to recover from her inexplicable cold when Eric barges into her apartment. Raven is like, Eric, it's so nice to see you. Uh, are you okay? Eric is like, yeah, I mean, kinda. But here's the thing, babe. You know how every time I try to do sex at you, you say you're not ready and how I've always been totally cool about that? Raven is like, Yes, that's one of the many things I love about you, your patience and understanding. Eric is like, well, I'm through with that. It's not okay anymore. If we don't do it now, I'm breaking up with you. Got it? Ugh. This next part's pretty rough. With tears in her eyes, Raven is like, okay, fine, if it's really that important to you. She begins to disrobe. Eric starts talking dirty to her, but she asks him to stop talking, please, and just get it over with. Eric is fine with that. He begins to proceed, but suddenly, Raven's bird-shaped soul avatar activates itself and flings Eric across the room. Oh, thank God. Raven is like, What the fuck, Eric? My magical nonsense powers just showed me a bunch of super messed up shit, and I'm pretty sure it came from you, and wait, why are your eyes all microchip looking? What's going on? Eric stammers and tries to make an excuse, but then the door is kicked in and a voice screams, No, you get the hell away from her, Forrester. It's Mr. Allenberg, the middle-aged businessman from a few pages ago. Huh, gotta say, I did not see that coming. 
Allenberg is like, Raven, Eric Forrester is a cyberpath. He has the magical nonsense ability to break into computers and tell them what to do. He's been using those powers to steal computer secrets. I was his partner, but I didn't realize he'd been murdering women. I want no part of that. Eric is like, don't listen to him, baby. That's just a bunch of stupid horse shit. Allenberg takes out a bracelet and is like, oh yeah? Then how do you explain this bracelet with your initials on it that the cops found on a dead lady? Rather than try to divert the blame onto, I don't know, Tennessee Ernie Ford or ask the seemingly reasonable question of how Allenberg got a bracelet either off of a corpse or out of a police evidence locker, Eric is like, Okay, fine, but now I'm going to murder you. Raven is like, what the fuck is going on? Eric is like, well, you see, babe, every time I use my power, it takes a little of my humanity away and turns me into more of a robot man, which I don't like, but I do like using my power. It feels good and it makes me money. So I've been hoovering up ladies' souls by doing sex at them to replace the parts of my soul that got all robot -y. But then I found out about you and how you had a whole buttload of Azarathian souls jammed into that bird soul thing you have. And I figured that if I ganked your soul, I'd get all of their souls too. Then I could stay human no matter how much computery shit I did. Understand? Raven is like, Weirdly, yes, I think I sort of do. Eric is like, Well, too bad that won't save you, toots. He uses his cyber bullshit to make some stereo equipment fly across the room and attack Raven and Mr. Allenberg. But Allenberg leaps into the air and does an acrobatic roundhouse kick to Eric's face that sends the cybernetic scumbag reeling. Well, that's a surprise. Turns out I'm not the only one that was surprised. Mr. Allenberg is like, Damn it, Jericho! My body can't handle that fancy kung fu shit! You're going to give me a goddamn heart attack. Oh, I get it. So do Raven and Eric. Raven is like, Joey, be careful. Eric is like, I'm going to make this flying toaster kill Allenberg and that little lemur-eyed freak at the same time. He uses his powers to send a toaster flying at Joey slash Mr. Allenberg, but this is the moment Joey was waiting for. He makes eye contact and uses his creepy-ass power to hop into Eric's body. Only it turns out this is also the moment Eric was waiting for. Because Eric is now so roboted up that at this point, Joey is stuck inside of a soulless machine over which he has no control. Well, shit. Eric starts laughing about how he just managed to trap Jericho, but the thing is, Jericho isn't alone inside of Eric's robo-soul. After tumbling down a glowing green matrix-looking tunnel, the mulleted mutant finds himself in a room filled with monitor screens, each of which has a different woman's face displayed on them. These are the souls of the women that Eric has murdered. Collectively, they're like, Joey, fuck this cyberpathic piece of shit up. Meanwhile, Raven and Eric are not aware of any of what is going on inside of Eric's increasingly mechanical body. Raven is like, Eric, I loved you. Were you seriously going to eat my soul? Eric is like, yep, still am. Raven is like, oh shit. Well, maybe I can use my bird-shaped soul self to at least get you to pop Joey out of your body. Raven reactivates her bird avatar thingy, 
As soon as she does, the souls of Eric's murdered lovers start talking to her. They're like, Sweet! He can't handle your soul self as long as we're still in him! This motherfucker is hosed! Joey pops out of Eric just in time to see Raven's soul self engulf and destroy what little remains of Eric's once human soul. He cries out for Raven to save him, but Raven is like, I would, but Joseph says I shouldn't, so I won't. Sorry. The voices from within Eric are like, Good call, Raven. This guy is a total asshole who just wanted to scarf up your soul and kill you. Thanks for avenging us. Bye. The police bust in the door and are like, Mr. Allenberg, you're under arrest for stealing computer secrets. Possibly from yourself. Or something. Holy shit! What the fuck is up with that dying big-dicked robot? This last bit is because Eric's body is now fully mechanical and twitching on the floor. It's like, Save me, Raven. Save me, Raven. Save me. me, me, me. A few days later at the Circle A cult, I, I mean ranch, there's a knock at Arella's door. Sally Liab is like, Hey, beloved leader? Arella's like, I told you, just plain boss is fine. Sally's like, Well, boss, you've got some visitors. Raven and Joey walk into the room. Arella's like, So I guess you told her where I was, huh? Joey looks a little sheepish. Raven's like, Look, Mom, I know we've never really been that close, and we don't really know how to talk to each other, and I get that a lot of that is probably because my very existence is tied up with a whole bunch of really traumatic shit related to my father. Arella's like, Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I didn't really know how to be a mom to you or to love you without resenting you and what you represented, so I just kind of left. I guess I was pretty shitty. Raven's like, well, maybe we can try being friends. Arella's like, I'm really generally more comfortable with slightly sycophantic followers who kind of worship me, but what the heck, let's give it a shot. The end. Joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, if you could see any fictional band from a movie or book or whatever play live in concert, what concert are you going to go see? Fictional band. I am hard-pressed to think of many. Let's see. What was the rock band from Almost Famous? Clearwater? Ah, uh, Stillwater, still maybe. Water. Was it Stillwater? Something water. Yeah, you want to see them play? Not really, but it's the only one they can think of. <laughs> okay. I got a couple options. I was thinking, probably, oh, never mind. It's Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem from The Muppet Show. That's a real band. Come on. Is it? Well, they are puppets, but there are people that made the music, and you can buy it and stuff. Well, there's people that made the music for Stillwater, too. Oh. <laughs> uh. Touche. <laughs> I was Wait, did say... they ever show them having a concert? I think so. Okay, your story checks out. <laughs> Sorry. Were they they were supposed to be Leonard Skinner, right? It seemed that way. Yeah. Wrong again, past hub. This is Editor Hub here in the future, 
pointing out that the band Stillwater was based on the Allman Brothers. The Allman Brothers, not Leonard Skinnerd. I know it was like based on Cameron Crowe when he was working for Rolling Stone magazine, which is why it was so weird that he does that Cameron Crowe thing where everybody tells the main character, you're just the most special, brilliant, amazing boy in the world when it is literally the filmmaker. <laughs> like that, in most movies, it's a stand-in for him, but in that movie, it's actually him. <laughs> well, at that point, he's probably like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, why not? Everybody knows this is what I do. I've been too subtle for too long. <laughs> I am the specialist boy. <laughs> I wonder if in the credits for that movie, he had the best boy credit just like crossed out and just wrote <laughs> his own name in there. <laughs> It's like, you didn't really do any grip stuff or lighting or whatever the best boy actually does. But he's like, but I am the best boy. Did you see the movie? Said yeah. several times. Yeah. So I think I'm going with Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. Although my initial thought was Sex as a Weapon, which was the band that TLC played in House Party 3. So basically, it would just be seeing TLC in concert. Oh, that could be nice. Yeah. Spinal Tap might be fun. If they do, they count because they're kind of not a I real band. But they're a fake I think band. they count if you want to if you want to see Spinal Tap in concert, like specifically the one where those pods didn't open. Right, you want to see that era yeah. of Spinal. Yeah, Tap. not the because uh... I remember they did actually tour when they released that album, Break Like the Wind. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Wow, that Derek Smalls. What a mustache! Pretty good mustache. Yeah. I got a pretty similar mustache right now. I gotta say. Yeah, you need a real Harry Shearer. What's his name? The hairiest. <laughs> well, you want to talk about a comic book? Sure. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? Um, I think it was well executed. Hmm. The cover is great. Art's pretty good. Nice work. Continuing to make Eric Forrester a really detestable character. Good job. Well, I, I think you can stop continuing and concluding making Eric Forrester a detestable character, because this is the end of Eric Forrester, as near as I can tell. It did get a little bit confusing at the end with all the word bubbles and the soul tummies and the everything else, so I don't really know exactly what happened to him, but I guess he's dead. I'm pretty sure he's dead. Cyber dead? Yeah. I gotta say, I really enjoyed this comic book. I don't think it was necessarily great, but it was satisfying. I view it kind of like I view the movie Death Proof, where I don't think it was Quentin Tarantino's best movie. I think that was Jackie Brown by a fucking mile. But it was satisfying. It was one of those where as I was watching it, I was like, okay, so a lot of the details don't really add up. The first half seems kind of disconnected from the second half, but it's got a really detestable main villain. And it's really, really satisfying to watch him get his comeuppance. And so as I'm walking away from it, I'm like, yeah, that was great. And then when I think back on some of the details, I was like, yeah, it doesn't really work. But overall, it pulled it off. Mm. And that was kind of how I felt about this comic. Also, just like beautiful cinematography. Like the art was great in this. Mm -hmm. You got a bunch of really cool looking like landscape scenes. So Pretty good. Kind of, like I said, kind of reminds me of the movie Death Proof, which I know there are people who feel differently about that film, but that was my takeaway from it. Gotcha. Yeah, I could, I could see that. That's a fair analogy. 
it read pretty well too, start to finish and it did have especially the way that it opened it really did remind me of like a i don't know if retro is the right word but like death proof is like has this era kind of specific feel to it mm-hmm. and it sort of does have that where it opens up on the guy kind of down on his luck guy looking for stuff to sell in the the junkyard and mm-hmm. finds the body and like i could totally see that opening an 80s suspense kind of supernatural movie i could specifically see john carpenter directing a scene like that yeah I could see that guy popping right out of, like, Prince of Darkness or something like that. Mm-hmm. Played the, by Alice Cooper. Uh-huh. Of course. He, the Alice, it is a John The Carpenter Alice movie. Cooper character in that was a lot less sympathetic than this guy. Oh, that is true. Yeah, he was evil. Yeah. This Scrounger guy portrayed pretty sympathetically, which I appreciated and was frankly a little bit surprised by. I feel like you can really tell that this comic book came out when it did in the late 80s, early 90s, at kind of the height of public awareness of the AIDS epidemic, where there is this equating of sex and death. Like, if Raven has sex with this guy, it would have killed her. And that is a theme that plays throughout it, kind of like you see Cold War themes play out in some early New Titans stuff. This just feels like it belongs in that era, you know? That's interesting. I hadn't made that connection to the AIDS crisis, but I could see that. I don't know if it was necessarily intentional, and maybe I'm reading more into it because of this era, but it feels like it comes from that time where there was this real scare around the idea of sex. And I think we talked about maybe in the last issue or one close to that, to the same trope of, you know, if you especially as a as a woman or a young woman, express yes. any desire to serial killer is just going to get you. Yeah, it does have that as well. Because he's a serial killer. Yeah, he absolutely is. That is one of the creepiest scenes we have seen in a new Titans book, where Eric Forrester successfully pressures Raven into having sex with him. That came off as super creepy. And I honestly think was pretty well done. Yeah, that gave me the willies. Yeah, and and I think it was supposed to, and I think with a scene like that, there, especially at the time this came out, I think would have been an expectation that it would be kind of prurient in some way, or like mm-hmm. voyeuristic, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. And I think the art team did a really good job maintaining that tone in that scene. And yeah, I, th- I thought that was really well done. I was a little bit uncomfortable with the extent to which Raven is characterized by not just a lack of agency, but by a refusal to take any agency over her own character. Like, yes, she did kill Eric, but the fact that it was involuntary and was just her sole self protecting her, I think there was the opportunity to have her have her moment where she sticks up for herself, and that she didn't was unfortunate. Especially where you see Arella being like, well, I had to leave and not leave any forwarding address because otherwise she'll never learn to take care of herself. And she's saying that to Joey, who is in the process of taking care of Raven. And he is now her protector. And she sees Eric as being her protector because she's so naive and vulnerable. It would have been nice to have her take the reins at some point, rather than have her be really the victim throughout the book, including at the end. Yeah. I agree with all of that. That said, I'm going to cut the character some slack for just what a emotionally, what 
just so much fuckery, you know? Oh, and, absolutely. And so it's understandable at the end. She's just like, what? The, like, she just basically ends it by saying, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And my hope is that in subsequent issues, yeah, that agency will be claimed, you know, in hindsight. But yeah, it is kind of a downer to see her mom just be like, yeah, she doesn't know what she's doing. And Joey's like, yeah, I know. I got to take care of things. I mean, her mom is a very shitty mom in this issue. But in a way that I think feels realistic and feels like it makes sense for the character. I don't think it's necessarily in line with the Arella that we have seen before, but to have Arella basically express that, yeah, I just kind of don't want anything to do with my kid right now. And she makes excuses for it. But when you get down to it at the end, you have the realization that it's just like, no, that is because I associated you with trauma in my life. And I don't really know how to talk to you. So I made excuses of why it was for your own good that I was leaving you to start a cult in Wyoming and not leaving a forwarding address. But you do see that it is because she is a shitty mom. I was kind of surprised that they tackled that. That's a tricky thing. It is. And I think they did a pretty good job with it. Yeah. I think there would have been a real impulse to to make Arella be the one that comes to the rescue of Raven, to see that Joey had made her question herself and that, no, I do need to go and take care of my daughter. But she never does. At the end, Raven comes to her. And I think in a weird way that worked, you know? So I was going to ask you your feelings on Joey in this issue. Last one, you were really mad at him for betraying Raven's trust. And mm -hmm. in, in this one, he basically does the same thing to her mom, who's like, I don't want to be found. He's like, oh, that's cool, but I brought her here anyway. <laughs> I do not think that was a great move on his part. Again, like with the last issue, I think it worked out okay, probably. But we don't know what Arella is thinking at that point. And more importantly, Raven does know what Arella is thinking at that point. So if Arella is like, oh shit, it's my fucking kid. I don't want to deal with this. Raven knows that. And that's got to be rough as fuck. Man, I know we've talked about it before with beholds and begones and whatnot, but I am so glad that I can't tell what people are thinking about me most <laughs> of the time. So this isn't quite a behold or begone, but something does come up in this issue that I did want to ask you about. We see that once again, when she is having a talk about her feelings, Coriander does it in Bermuda. We saw her do that before when her and Raven needed to have a heart to heart. She was like, hey, Raven. Teleport us to Bermuda if we're going to go do this. And they had a nice walk on the beach, and they frolicked, and then they talked about their feelings. So, if every time you had to talk about your feelings, you had to go to Bermuda to do it, would you not hate talking about your feelings, or would you hate Bermuda? Oh man, the latter, 100%. You would just come to associate Bermuda with having to talk about your feelings, and you would just hate Bermuda? Yeah, and then also I would have, the, like, have you ever been somewhere really nice and for whatever reason something's going on in your life where you, you just can't enjoy the experience and then you feel like there's something flawed with you? You're like, I'm in the most beautiful place on earth, but I'm so sad. Oh, geez. Like, then I would have that going on. That is yet another reason to avoid, and we've talked about this before, but destination breakups. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Because then maybe, hmm, you think Wolfman has some experience with Bermuda <laughs> that was either really positive or negative? I have no idea. Probably. Huh. 
It's odd that it has come up multiple times, specifically with Coriander. So we talked about how some of the details in this book don't really make sense or add up. There were rather a lot of them. For one thing, Raven had said in the previous issue that if something was wrong with Eric, her powers would let her know. But she can tell, because she is an empath, that he is being sincere when he professes love to her. I don't feel like his robot powers explain that. Do you? Not really. And that ties into another confusing bit of the story, or maybe it's something obvious and I missed, but there's this whole thing about, hey, Raven's sick and Joey's really worried. Her powers are all wackadoodle because of it. Mm -hmm. You know, what's going on? Raven doesn't get sick. Technically, she can't. Is it because Eric Forrester has put some weird mojo on her that's fiddling with her ability right. to... That he's... That I think the implication had been that he is draining her powers and that is making her sick. But yes, in this we see that he's like, oh man, what a time for her to get sick. Right after her mom explains, no, she doesn't get sick, so that would be reinforcing that that is what he is doing to her. I don't think it was an obvious thing. I think there is maybe supposed to be an implication that the souls that are trapped inside of Eric are interacting with her powers in some way. Maybe they're doing something, but it is unclear. Or maybe it is Eric is draining her and that is making her sick, but he doesn't realize that. It seems like he would realize that if it was happening just on a different scale with the other women that he has drained. So does he have some kind of mind shield that prevents Raven or anybody else from realizing he's a bad dude? Unless they're about to bone down, because that's when her soul self is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I don't know. And, and that is really never explained, at least not satisfactorily. I think maybe there is the idea that like, oh, he's a computer, so he doesn't have any emotions, so she couldn't read bad emotions coming from him. But then she does. But then she does, and also, I think she would view the fact that when he says he loves her, there is no emotion behind it. I think her empathy would pick up on that. So that part doesn't really hold together. His powers also don't make a ton of sense. There is a lot I like about this character as he is put together. I mean, I don't like him, obviously, and I don't like this character, but I think it's an interesting idea. And I think the idea really works, and it's kind of a cool concept that he has these powers that allow him to communicate with computers. Every time he uses them, he becomes more of a computer and loses some of his humanity. So he wants to get his humanity back, but he keeps using his power because he is in a way addicted to the power. I think that's cool. I think that's a neat idea. It doesn't really make sense. There's no explanation of how he got these powers, so I guess he's a mutant or something. The fact that it literally turns his bones into being made of metal doesn't make a ton of sense. But also, when he exercises his powers, like when he's trying to kill the guy who was under arrest for selling computer secrets, mm -hmm. which I really did like how the cop phrased that. That struck me as a very goofy moment when the cop busted is like, Mr. Abernathy or whatever, you're under arrest for selling computer secrets. Pretty good. But... When Eric attacks him, and in a previous scene too, he uses the fact that he can communicate 
with computers to make like a toaster fly around the room and strangle somebody with a cord. Well, it's any electronic object. So he's got what I like to call maximum overdrive powers. Mm-hmm. He even threw one of those electric turkey knives at somebody, which I think did happen in a maximum overdrive where the knife tried to cut a guy. Okay, but in maximum overdrive, like the knife and the toaster and whatever, they couldn't move independently of themselves. That's why they needed to have trucks do stuff, you know? Like, his power doesn't make sense, because a toaster can't do that. Like, he should be able to make the toaster do whatever he wants it to do that a toaster can do, you know? I'm gonna burn your toast so bad. <laughs> yeah! That should be the way he's threatening people. Or, like, it could explode or maybe even send an electrical shock, but not, like fly around the room and have a prehensile cord. Well... Like, that's telekinesis, and that's a separate power. And, in our discussion of all the bullshit powers that exist in this world, that is not a stretch, right? No, it's okay. it's in line, you're I right. I can control electric things. He can't say the E for some reason. <laughs> that's true, it's because he's badass. Yeah, so he can control electric things. So he has telekinesis limited to household appliances, <laughs> which those poor things take a beating in this issue. They man. really do. I think my favorite moment is when he is listening to the radio, the easy listening station, yeah. because he's trying to seduce Raven. Or just because we, like, if we had any doubt that he was evil. I don't think liking Mel Torme is evil. I think. Do you think Harry from Night Court was evil? He loved Mel Torme. I the think... Velvet Fog. Okay, I don't want to pick on Mel specifically. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you have like your radio preset to the easy listening station, that's just a little troubling to me. Okay, I can understand that. But he's listening to that. He listens to the Mel Torme song. He's like, pretty good song. Shame I couldn't use it to seduce all the way. But next time. Then he listens to a news radio story about the fact that he just murdered somebody and they found the body, and he listens to that story. He's got a little smirk on his face. He's like, yeah, I murdered that lady real good. Then another story comes on about the fact that the mayor says he's not going to raise the sales tax, and that is when he's like, fuck this, and uses his mental powers to explode the radio. And that, and I had a note about that, that's another, like, tick in the checkbox of, is this dude evil? That is so wasteful. He could have just reached over and shut the radio off if he didn't like the tax story. Or he could have used his mental powers to turn off the radio with his mind. Presumably turning off is in the radio's capabilities, so he didn't even need to reach over to do it. I think he just really, really loves sales taxes because he's an asshole. Now, I'm not saying taxes are bad, but a sales tax is a flat tax. He's like, oh, that means more money will come from progressive taxes, which will take more money out of rich people's paychecks. Fuck this! Ah! Mm. Man, I remember as a kid, like, going to Massachusetts from New mm -hmm. Hampshire, which New Hampshire doesn't have sales tax. And, and neither does Oregon either. Yeah. So we, we went to, like, two of the only states that don't happen to have sales taxes. Yeah. And again, you know, property taxes to fund education not working out so great. No. That aside, I remember just always being really confused where I was like, but it says 99 cents. Why is it a dollar and two cents? Yeah, it was confusing. Mm. I specifically remember encountering that going to the Boston Aquarium and being like, and the gift shop being like, I think I can afford this whale wind up toy. Mm -hmm. And I could not. Yeah. No, messes with your finances. You, you got to calculate that 3% or whatever it is. 
So I could understand if I had mental powers at that point, being upset that there was a sales tax, but being upset that they're not going to raise the sales tax. Mm -hmm. That is a wild move on Eric's part. Yeah. Complex character for a change. Yeah. I also mentioned that his powers don't have an origin, which is fine. I think the idea of there being mutants has been introduced in DC Comics at this point. We know that Joey is a mutant, but there is with him at least the implication that the reason he has some powers is because his dad was experimented on scientifically. So there's like a hereditary element to some superpowers being passed on or some kind of metagene being activated. It always seems like a cop-out in the DC universe when there are mutants. It feels like a cop-out in general, but in the Marvel universe, it's been so well-established, and there are rules that go along with the mutant thing, unlike when the power set in and has been more lore built around them, that, I don't know, when it happens in DC comics, I'm always like, you guys can't just do that shit. Also, why does he need to just wear his underwear to commune with the computer? I mean. We could talk about this later, but part of the reason might be because when he goes into that room, he's wearing a leather suit, I'm pretty sure. And that's just got to be really uncomfortable. If I was wearing a leather suit, I would want to take that off as soon as possible, especially if I was in a room with that many electronics that were all operating at once, because those rooms heat up. Sweaty. Yeah. I remember going to the arcade downtown, ground control, and... It was like the middle of summer and the air conditioning was on, but it was still really hot in there because all those uh, machines were operating at the same time. Oh, you were also wearing your leather suit. Well, I was at first, but then when I wanted to play Burger Time, I stripped down to my underpants yep. and uh, said, feels good, too good. Yeah, this is weird that people were skeezed out by that. Yeah, well, I did have my mullet at the time and some <laughs> five o'clock shadow. <sighs> it's your birthday, right? You can, you know, fuck it. It's your yeah, birthday. exactly. I want to play Burger Time in my drawers. Wear nothing but a mullet and some tidy whities And a smile. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other big things that I couldn't quite make sense of in this book was what Mr. Allenberg's role was. Mr. Allenberg is the guy that owns the electronics company that has the big mainframe with all the computers in it. Right. And also a initially willing accomplice of Eric Forrester for stealing computer secrets. Right. But then in over his head, it's like, oh, wait, this guy's a real creep. What do I do? Okay. But why was Eric then breaking into Allenberg's system to steal his computer secrets if he was working with Allenberg? Because they weren't smart enough to figure out a... Give him a fake job and stuff, so you gotta fly a, they had to fly uh, a, a space secret. shuttle to the top of the building <laughs> and have a guy with a revolver accompany you to hold your clothing. You know, come on, Hub. Yeah. That's DC criminal stuff 101. <laughs> so you think he was using Allenberg's computer to steal computer secrets from other companies? Why wouldn't he be breaking into other companies to steal those secrets for Allenberg? Oh, because he was uh, getting it, uh, he was modeming it from them. <laughs> That line cracked me up so much when, uh, is her name Marta? I think so, yeah. She says, uh, I'll modem it over to you, Joey. Yeah. I love this high-tech stuff, right? Uh -huh. the cop, we got our computer secrets. <laughs> we got our modeming. 
You're under arrest for computer secrets. It reminds me of those G.I. Joe fake PSAs. Right. Pikachu! What? I'm a computer! Stop all the downloading! That was some pretty good stuff. What did you think of Arella's cult out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming? Man, it confirmed my discomfort with unsolicited, immediate, extreme self-disclosure from somebody I'm in a car with for 40 minutes. Oh my god, I felt so bad for Joey just listening to Sally Liab, which is a very specific name for a character that does not appear in another book after this. Mm -hmm. Like, she is given so much backstory and shares all of it. Too much, some might say. Some might say too much. So here's how I came to be with Arella. I used to be in Dallas. The Big D. <laughs> now, when she said she was from the Big D, do you think Joey's ears perked up and he was just like, so you know Eric Forrester? I actually had that chuckle to myself. I had that thought. But she goes into great detail about just like, so I got pretty mixed up with drugs and sex and stuff and probably should have listened to more rock and roll music and stuck with that. She just talks for, okay, you said 45 minute car drive. They stopped and went to the Elk Preserve on their way to Arella's cult. And she's still talking when they get there and mm -hmm. drop like up until he, or actually, no, she never leaves and then she's yeah in no his she sticks around she, he it's he was much. like can she leave and Arella's like no 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 it's fine she can't she she knows uh all of my secrets you don't need to make her leave and i could see joey just being like that is not why i wanted her to leave i am just over this shit yeah yeah sally was a talker mm -hmm. i do think it's weird that they stopped and went to the elk preserve when joey was pretty clearly in a hurry but sally is like so you're probably going to want to stop and go to the Elk Preserve because it's pretty boring out here. There's nothing else to do. I looked it up. There is an Elk Preserve there. It's like an hour guided tour that I think is a sleigh ride. They said wagon, so maybe in the summer it's a wagon ride instead of a sleigh ride. But that is a long time to pause just because you might get bored in Wyoming otherwise when he is in a hurry to save his friend's life. Man, that is something. So clearly they were setting up Eric in the previous issue to have some kind of evil power. To what extent do you think it was planned that it was, he's turning into a computer? There were aspects of that that seemed set up, but there were also parts of it that seemed to come out of nowhere and not really connect to anything else. What part of that was part of the plan all along, and what part of it was a, uh, like, Machina x Machina. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Like, I feel like to answer it, it would be pure conjecture, right? Because mm -hmm. I don't know what Wolfman's creative process is. I, I imagine the stuff is plotted out well in advance, but it does seem like every now and then, in the middle of something that has been plotted out well in advance, it's, ooh, you know what would be cool? Uh -huh. If he totally turned into a computer because, you know, less human, more computer. Uh huh. Pretty cool. I had to look it up. This came out a full year before Lawnmower Man. <laughs> oh, okay. I was, I was, I was honestly wondering. Lawnmower Man yes. vibe here. Yeah, especially when they do like the close up of his eyeball and it's all like he's wearing cool digital contacts. Yeah. No, this is, it's visually super cool. Yeah. Like, it's really fun. Very high tech 90s feel to it. 
Like yeah. lawnmower man. Yeah, it's like the whole comic had just been modemed over to me into Whoa. my mainframe. <laughs> I was worried for having possession of this comic book, I could be arrested for computer secrets. Well, you still could. Oh no. I'm I'm just kidding. Oh, thank God. I don't really have any computer secrets, Corey, except for this comic. What are you, a cop? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay, thank you. If I was, I would have had to tell you. Otherwise, I'd go to jail. I heard that for somewhere before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you'd get my badge. Man, that is a... It's the law. That's a hell of a system. So, neither one of us can arrest the other for computer secrets. Cheers. On that happy note, you want to get into the minutia? Let's do it. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Cory, what category do you feel like starting off with? Well, before that, it's been, I don't know, I lost track of it, but I think I do a quarterly, maybe, disclaimer on Rick's song about the fart eating. <laughs> I think that has come up more recently. Has it? Relatively recently. Oh, okay. Unless you were about to walk that back. Huh. I'd say that you have I, started I have eating started. farts recently. No, I know. Oh, well, you're still rude then. Yep. You're a real Raphael. The you're cool, but rude. Oh. Whereas, I'm a party dude. And Eric does machines. <laughs> what? As the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja song. Donatello does machines. Eric does machines. Oh. In the comic book we just read. I see. Well, for anybody who's wondering what the hell we're talking about, when you fart, Hub thinks it's polite to wave it into your mouth and gulp it down. Yeah. I think that's a little silly. And that's what that line in the song is about. It keeps other people from having to smell your farts, because I don't think your own farts smell bad to you. Everybody likes the smell of their own farts. That is a lie. That is not a lie, Corey. It is you a lie. You like the smell of your own farts. No, sometimes love it. I leave the room. <laughs> You're a monster. That is unfair. <laughs> that is unfair. Jeez. What happened to Mr. Magnanimous over here? I lost my magnet power. That's a shame. Uh, this is all nonsense. <laughs> I don't think we can use any of yeah, that. Yes. All right. Just edit it all out. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what category do you feel like starting off with? Let's go to my old go-to and talk about clothing. Okay. Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this comic stood out to you the most? So you mentioned earlier, Eric. Forrester's suit that he's wearing to you look leather mm -hmm. and I could totally see why you would think that because the edges of it look as if they're catching the light there's a shininess to it my thought was that it is actually a super super dark purple crushed velvet suit I mean it's possible but he's much more likely the type to wear a patent leather suit so he seems like he is. is wearing a leather he seems like a leather suit kind of guy like, he seems like he is a leather couch kind of guy, and he seems like he is a leather suit kind of guy. Which, if I was a computer, maybe I would be fine with a leather couch, because I wouldn't be worried about, you know, sticking to it and getting all sweaty. But, as it stands, leather couch is no good. Oh, I disagree. You like a leather couch? I like a good one. What? Yeah. No, you don't stick to them like that bad. 
Yeah, you do. They're uncomfortable. In my experience, I had one. Remember? I do remember. Yeah. It was uncomfortable. It wasn't sticky. Did you ever sleep on that thing? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. And it wasn't uncomfortable for you? Nope. That's madness to me. I'm so sorry. I think you might be a computer man. I might have put down a, a blanket. Corey, how do you feel about all the downloading? Stop all the downloading. I knew it. You're a computer. Oh, no. <laughs> Certainly a more benign one than Eric Forrester, but still. Eh. What? I just, you no. don't think you're more benign than Eric Forrester? No, not eh, the more benign. Eh, the, just being in the same category as Forrester. Okay. I don't like that at all. Okay. Well, then you're going to have to get rid of that leather couch. I did. Oh, well, good job. Then what are we arguing about? I don't know. Okay. What other fashion did you want to talk about? I thought it was a little weird that... The modeling shoot that Starfire is being photographed at, she's wearing a one-piece bathing suit, which is less revealing than her normal costume. It does seem like an odd choice. It seems like she's often, you know, so objectified in the way that she's drawn that you'd think if she's going to go do like a Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue type shoot, which is what it seemed like that Mm -hmm. was headed towards, that it would be the opposite, but no. I did, in those scenes, appreciate Donna's hat. Nice big straw hat she's wearing. Yeah, Donna is actually wearing a a tiny bikini, but with a straw hat. Mm -hmm. Did you, in your copy, have that bikini changing from green to blue? Let's take a look. I guess so. I hadn't noticed it because it's a pretty subtle difference. But yeah, it does look like it goes from being green to kind of a turquoise. As opposed to Starfire's outfit, which is purple with little lightning bolts all over it. Lightning bolts or tiger stripes? What do you think? Stripes. Okay. I mean, it's a fine bathing suit, but you're right. It is an odd choice. I honestly wonder if it had initially been drawn more revealing than that. Because especially in the first panel, if you look at it, it looks like she's almost naked and then has just the suit drawn on her. So I know they did that Sports Illustrated thing a couple of years ago where the swimsuits were actually latex painted onto nude bodies, maybe this is a precursor to that. Or maybe it is just the colorist putting her own editorial on Tom Grummet's swimsuit choices. Oh, interesting. Yeah, could be. Yeah. So that, I mean, it wasn't, that wasn't like sartorially super interesting. It was just, it seemed a little inconsistent. So Mm -hmm. I, I like that theory that the colorist was... I mean, it's possible. Stuff like that has come up before. There was in Claws of the Cat, which is an old 70s book that I like a lot. It was drawn by Marie Severin, who we discussed last week, Mm -hmm. but it was inked by Wally Wood. And when he inked it, he decided to make, on the cover at least, the character fully nude as a fun little joke for him to have. And then everybody had to go and redo it to make her wearing clothes. Like he drew like pubic hair and nipples on her. Why? I don't know. I always liked Wally Wood, but in that instance, at least, seems like he was just being a fucking creep. Uh, It was a comic, one of the first comics that Marvel had done at that point that had both a female writer and penciler, so that may have had something to do with it. Uh, You hope not, but... Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. But I don't don't think that's necessarily what Grummet and Alve were doing there. (laughs) That is pure speculation on my part. But it does kind of look like there is a swimsuit drawn over a nude body on that. It does, yeah. Speaking of nipples, this isn't really a fashion thing, but what's so fucking special about Eric Forrester that he gets nipples? Most people in these, most guys when they take their shirts off don't. 
maybe it is like extra performative that he like specifically went out of his way to have nipple shaped pasties put on to say, oh, I'm definitely a human, not a robot man. You look, think? Look at these nips. These are all human, baby. So because he is uh, such a computer man, you think he has control over his appearance and anatomy in that way? Well, I mean, I think he can or paste it's, them it's up. Literally I, I think literally they are pasties. Oh. It's a performative humanity. Performative humanity. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> like something a human man from Earth would totally say. Well, good news, Corey. It is something a human man who is definitely from Earth did just say. Because, Corey, yeah? I'm a human man from Earth. Everybody knows it. Everybody. My I'm a human man from Earth t-shirt seems to be raising a lot of questions that my I'm a human man from Earth t-shirt already answered. Whoa. Corey, were you able to find any timestamps in this comic? I had initially what I kind of thought of as like a, it's not right to say reverse timestamp. I don't really know how to say it, but it was eerily prescient that Joey had what is essentially a smartphone. Huh. It looks like a cross between like a BlackBerry and a uh, an iPhone. But I mean, this is what, 91? BlackBerry didn't come out. It was until... actually 1990. Oh, okay. The, we are... About a year ahead with the what was Aquaman probably up to, but this is the, I believe, July 1990 issue. Yeah, so basically he's FaceTiming, right, with Marta on her mm-hmm. computer, which he can do now, right? Right. And then she's sending him some files, which he can do now. But, you know, but BlackBerry didn't come out until, I don't know, what, 10 years after that? iPhone didn't come out until 2007 or so? Yeah, it was just so weird to see this, like, literally this technology that exists now that mm-hmm. we use every day portrayed as total science fiction so i guess that is the timestamp. but then it goes with the like i'll modem it over to you thing and yeah that totally just made it goofy yeah that was what i had as my timestamp when marta says uh i'll modem you the report enjoy and take care of yourself yeah and he gets it on the device and he's like reading it on the two by three screen Despite the fact that he is in an area that almost certainly wouldn't have any cell service at that point, Mm. especially when it is explicitly stated that not only are there no cell phones available in the house, there are no phone lines in the house. Or at least Arella doesn't want to tell him that they are. Because at that point, she is still doubling down on the, uh, I am still hiding from my daughter. I want nothing to do with her. Don't you dare tell her where I am. To the point where he's like, can I make a phone call? And she's like, well, we don't have any phone lines. And he's like, well, I can make a call with my own device. And she's like, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Man, I know we talked about it already, but that whole tough love thing of you got to figure your own shit out. Like, on one hand, I get it. But also just how ineffective, because you know that person is going to probably go find somebody who's probably not as as good as you at helping them out. I think that is absolutely a cop-out on Arella's part, but I think it is a realistic one. It really does seem like she is just abdicating any responsibility at that point. Her reasoning is her working backwards from the conclusion that she has reached, which is, I don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. I can't deal with this. And then she is coming up with justifications as to why that was the right thing to do. And I love that at the end of the book, she does kind of admit to that. 
in a kind of oblique way when her hand is forced. But yeah, at that point, she is absolutely like, well, she needs to just learn the tools to deal with this situation. As a parent, part of your job was to give her the tools to deal with those situations. The fact that you didn't is why she is in predicaments like this. Yeah. Corey, let's take this party to the Bozo. What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you want to focus on? Well, before we get into the human-to-human insults, or cyberpath-to-human insults, Mm -hmm. I want to take a second and step back and level set. Pigs are pretty fucking cute sometimes. I think so, too. And I did not like that super evil (laughs) forester (laughs) said, ugly on a pig. Yeah, no. The pig is catching a stray bullet on this. Like, nobody's bringing pigs into this equation. And he's like, yeah, they'll be on us like ugly on a pig. What the fuck did a pig do to you? Kind of said mud on a pig or even shit on a pig. Sure. Which, you know, okay, a little gross, but fair. Yeah. Ugly? No, thank you. It's a dick move. Yet another reason to dislike Eric Forrester. Yeah. It's not the only insult that Eric was slinging around. I believe on page 20 alone. He calls Joey a fool, an idiot, and an imbecile. So pretty harsh. Yep. He also calls his compatriot Crowley, the guy whose job it is to have a gun and hold his leather suit while he strips down to computer fuck everybody to get their cyber secrets. Yep. He calls that guy an idiot. Yep. I think a couple times. Yeah. I count I had an idiot count of three. I think two were on Crowley, one was on Joey. Uh Yeah. Yeah, Eric, not a nice man. Nope. I had the same ones. I had the the idiots and the uh, the fool. Yeah, and the pig. I had the pig written down, too. (laughs) It's like, yeah. It's like, what the fuck did the pig do? Leave the pig alone. Yeah. Eric. Corey, every issue of a new Titans comic has an Aqualad, the greatest of Titans, and also a Beast Boy, the worst of Titans, until Danny fucking Chase showed up. In this issue, who did you have as your Aqualad, and who as your Beast Boy? Man, this was a tough one for me. I feel like I say that every time, but this, this Th- one was. This one was. For one thing, there just weren't that many Titans in it. Right. There's the brief scene with Donna and Coriander, and then there's... Joey and Raven. Yep. So initially I was going to go with Joey because he kind of saves the day, but I still feel weird about nominating him last time for obvious reasons of lying and betrayal and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And the fact that basically he doubles down and does that again with bringing Raven to her mom against her mom's wishes. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, her mom's not great, but still that's not really a good policy. I don't think so. I guess he doesn't get the nod. And so then I was like, well, I guess that just, leaves donna for um telling starfire they don't have to keep shooting because she's got stuff to talk about like that was cool if you're a boss to just be like take the day off and i was like nah, it's not that good so i think ultimately i'm gonna go with raven's soul self yeah for jumping in and saving the day i wish i could go with raven but she wasn't as we discussed earlier really written in a way that has any agency which is disappointing and the most that she does have is her soul self knowing what's going on in some abstract way so i went with that i think that's a fair choice i was very torn on this as well i'm gonna steal your answer i did have joey 
but I also had him in contention for my worst defender. <laughs> what? Like, it was it was a toss-up, because he does step in and, you know, confronts the guy, and then he doesn't really do all that much. I wonder, honestly, if Raven's soul self would have just shut down Eric regardless. So I think I'm going to steal your answer. I'm going to go with Raven's soul self. Oh, okay. And then for worst, I mean... I don't want to have it be Raven. She doesn't do a good job in this particularly, but she's very clearly the victim in this. And I don't want to blame her as for being a victim. Mm -hmm. As I said, I already did have Joey in contention for my worst for the reasons that you mentioned and for stopping to go to the elk preserve when he is in a time sensitive situation where a friend is in danger. I wondered if Arella was possible as an option. I mean, she's definitely not a teen, but teen isn't part of the title anymore. She does have powers. Is she a new titan? I don't know. I didn't go with her. That's a stretch. I went with Donna. She let Starfire take a break. Yeah, but not until they're already done shooting for the day. She very much compartmentalizes her emotions, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But she doesn't, until the end, have a ton of awareness about it. And the fact that Franklin Crandall gets brought up for the first time in a hundred issues reminded me of Donna's initial foray into grief counseling. <laughs> and that just annoyed me all over again. Seriously, we haven't had that guy referenced in literally, I think, a hundred issues. That is the guy that Starfire was going to marry. It's the hive uh, hive guy that she didn't know was a hive guy? Is that right? Yeah, and then he died. And... Oh, that was tragic. Like, it died, like, very, like, melodramatic in her arms, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And then Donna was like, sheesh, it's been a month. Fucking get over it. Donna Troy. Grief counseling. Express. Indeed. So, yeah. Not entirely fair to give it to Donna, but I did give it to Donna. Well, shit. I was in the weird position of giving it to somebody who was really effective in the issue just because I couldn't find any... I didn't think about the grief counseling angle. That's pretty good. But I went with Joey for the reasons that we mentioned earlier. But in addition to that, he nearly killed his host body. Yeah. Fighting Eric Forrester because he's, a, you know, kind of portly middle-aged guy who's like, I'm going to have a fucking heart attack over here. It's like a jackhammer. I don't know why he's yeah, like this. but Corey, that guy had computer secrets that's not uh, you can't just kill people for having computer secrets i don't know he was under arrest for computer secrets not yet he wasn't and also you can't kill people for being under arrest okay fine Yeesh. joey's pretty bad yeah he did a good job but the way that he did, did it did he though didn't he uh facilitate the demise of Forrester, or was that just I'm not sure. It's really tough to tell because it is Raven's soul self that is activated by the souls that are already within Eric Forrester. It seems pretty likely that that just would have been like her immune system basically Chips acting up. He's just like a day late and a dollar short, then, so he shows yeah, up when just she's there. in the process yeah. of saving herself after betraying her mom's trust to get there. Yeah. And he called the cops. Uh huh. And I think at the end, it's just like, and I'm a big hero. Look what a good job I did. When really, it is very unclear whether he accomplished anything. I came away from it with the feeling of, oh, Joey totally saved the day. Mm -hmm. That's what he wants you to think, but he's just being a big narc. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking narc. See, good choice, right? Yeah, no, very good choice. I'm, I'm changing my answer. 
I'm changing both. You, you You're copying me on both stories. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm reading over your shoulder. I'm copying your work. How about that? How about it indeed? Bad job, Joey. Thank you. You fucking narc. Hey, this guy's got computer secrets. <laughs> That's how he talks when he's talking through uh, Mr. What's his face? Mr. Computer Secrets. Yeah, I wrote his name down. I can't. Remember. I did too. I don't know. Allenberg. Yeah. Was that the Bruce Springsteen song? Allentown. Oh, okay. Bergtown. Yeah, it's the same. It's a synonym. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is, uh, Manhattan makes it hard to say synonym. <laughs> Jesus, so, yeah. that was just one. I'm not even done with it. I know. What's I'm wrong at, with I'm us? The, we should a... be practically professionals at this <laughs> we point. Should... <laughs> we should have built up an effective immunity to Manhattan. That is so what I'm trying years. to say. Yes. This is not the first. But instead, here we are, gabbering on and on about synonym toast crunch. (laughs) Exactly. Delicious. Delicious. Corey, Mm. let's have ourselves a Battle of the Band Names. Do you, you don't always do the arm thing. No, I was gesticulating wildly that time that as was, I said was, Battle of the Band Names. Oh, something. Thank you. Uh-huh. What band names were you able to find in the text of this comic? Well, I think you and I are both disappointed to know that Big D was already taken. <laughs> <laughs> I did not have that even down as an option. Now he's all over SoundCloud. I'm not surprised. So, yeah, I had, I had two. Okay, I had three, so why don't I go first, and we'll sandwich them up. All right. I had Cyberpath. Oh, fuck. You we had keep, Cyberpath? We keep doing this, dude. Yeah, I know. Well, let's see if we have any other overlap, and then we'll come back and decide what kind of music Cyberpath plays. All right. Did you have Digitized Voices? No, I didn't. I oh, have... that's goddamn shame, because Digitized Voices is, I think, objectively better than Cyberpath. I think so, too. What did you have? Uh, the other one that I had was Psychic Shield. Psychic Shield's not bad. Mm-hmm. I also had Empathic Powers, but looks like we were going with Cyberpath. Man, there's a real theme between Psychic Shield, Empathic Powers, and between Cyberpath and Digitized Voices. Like This is like a yeah. battle of, I don't know, emo versus electronic. Mm-hmm. Possibly a combination of the two. Mm. What do you think Cyberpath plays? I just think they probably are like a lazy daft punk. I mean, I can see that. I think maybe they're more war heavy. Like, I can see them doing like electronic music that is like all Led Zeppelin covers. It's just like storytelling type shit because Cyberpath sounds like it might be them trying to say Kyberpass. Whoa. I don't know what the Kyberpass is, but I think it's a thing. That's uh, not like uh, between some mountains in Pakistan or somewhere? Yeah. So maybe they're... Okay, so I think maybe Cyberpath is historical fiction about that region, but electronica music about it. Kind of like uh, Beats Antique. Is that what that is? I don't know what, what the thing you just said is. Oh, it's like electronic music, but it sounds like um, it has like some like Middle Eastern folk music woven into it. Okay. So yeah, like, like that, but with the epic storytelling of Led Zeppelin or Rush. 
I might get that a listen. Yeah, sounds good. So, okay, we're we're on the same page here. Cyberpath. It's pronounced Kyberpath. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, yeah, Kyberpath, pretty good. You're right, that hard C at the beginning mm-hmm. really changes the whole dynamic of that band. Much better. How many people? Do you, is it like a bunch of people or just like one person? Nobody knows. I suspect that when they are in the studio, it is just one person, but they tour as a live band. I got a bunch of people on stage just pushing buttons. Nobody knows what they do. Like big screens up Uh huh. with abstract fantasy like, art. I mean, not fantasy, because it's historical fiction. Okay, but like fantasy-like landscapes, like Misty Mountains? And yeah, they whatnot. each wear a helmet that has a different landscape painted on it. But it's a digitized landscape. It's 8-bit pictures of historical battle scenes. Why? Because it's badass! Think, oh man, I was Waterloo last time. <laughs> Too bad. You'll be Waterloo and you'll like it, Eddie. That's what you get for playing the cyber tambourine. Okay. Corey, who did you have as your president of the drama club this issue? Oh, I don't know, Eric Forrester? Yeah! It's weird to have an overly dramatic robot man, but golly was he ever. Man, that scene when he's in the computer sex tube. Wait, I thought Joey was in the computer sex tube. No, no, the first time with when they first break into... Oh, when he breaks Al- into Allenberg's... Mr. Allentown's house. Yep. And he's like, oh, it's good. Oh, it's too good. I like it too much. Oh, no, I better blow up a radio for telling me about raising a sales tax. Yep. What a fucking weirdo. Too much drama, man. How do you have that much drama and no feelings? What a jerk. I hope his cyber pasty nipples just chafe the dickens out of him. Man, he has to shave around them before he puts them on so they don't. You know what? I hope he doesn't. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You ever have those, uh, you know when you're in the hospital and they put those weird little, uh, the stickers on you that connect to the metal diodes? No, I've had it. Would they, would they put the, hold the needle in if you have a... No, but you know thing. like the little things that look like the snap button that, uh, is in the middle of a round sticker that they put on you? I haven't had that experience. It's not fun, but, uh, also it's not fun taking those things off, because, ow! Their arm it just hair. pulls all the arm hair out. Yeah, that hurts. It, it does. Uh-huh. I got a lot of arm hair. Pretty good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't condition it or anything. No, just natural. Just natural. Yeah. I I heard you're not supposed to wash it. I put it. <laughs> not every day. Oh, okay. It's once a week. It's okay. Otherwise, it's the natural oils in the arm hair uh-huh. make it more lustrous. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, I don't even use a conditioner. Every other week, I'll put a little bit of arm mascara on it. Just really make it pop. Arm mascara. Yeah, that's where uh, Wonder Woman's that's from. That's what I was. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking. That's what that stuff's named after. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, Corey, we've discussed the art in this issue a little bit, and that overall, I think we were both pretty impressed by it. What was your favorite panel? Yeah, uh, like we said earlier, a lot of great artwork in here. I think probably my favorite panel, ultimately, is the one where Eric Forrester is in his uh, leather underpants in the computer tunnel. 
with all the green crackly energy around him mm-hmm. having a good old time. It's very dynamic. It's making a scrack. No, that's not it. It's scrack. It's a little better. It has a very like electric sound mm-hmm. to it that I can't, despite my considerable voice acting talent, mm. can't can't pull off the uh, electrics. Even Michael Winslow himself would be hard pressed to recreate the noise that is illustrated on that panel. Yeah. But yeah, green and blue lightning flying everywhere, specifically out of Eric, as he says, only it feels good. Too good! And then, yeah, everything explodes all around him. It is a really cool panel. I like that one a lot. That was on my short list, but there were a number that were on my short list. Every time they do a close-up of Eric's eyeballs, and you see the digital-looking Hot Topic contacts that he has in there that look all computery. It's really cool looking. I liked all of those panels. There's like four of them. Mm-hmm. You can see in one of the insets those giant pasties he's got, too. Mm-hmm. Really prominent. I also really loved the panel of Old Man Allentown Kung Fu Fighting. Pretty good. Just a an old portly man doing a huge flying kick to Eric's face and Eric being like, what the fuck? Yeah. Right. And the old man being like, what the fuck? Stop doing this. I am not in good shape. I am going to have a heart attack. It is a really cool panel. I also liked, there were a number of landscape shots in this. I mean, really, there's no other justification for... Donna and Coriander having to be in Bermuda when they have their conversation about feelings, other than maybe they're trying to establish that that's where where Starfire goes to talk about feelings. But I think it was just a thing for the artist where you get to have just a bunch of different contrasting landscapes. You have the beach scene at sunset, which is really beautiful, and that's followed by Joey landing in a little fucking Piper Cub plane in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and you get to have the prairies with the mountains in the background. That's really cool looking. You also get a number of cityscapes. I just really liked all of the landscapes in this. I thought it was a nice touch. Yeah, my two backup panels were the intro that we talked about already, like setting the like a John Carpenter movie with mm-hmm. all the, the flashing lights of the cop cars and the junkyard and everything. And then um, also the cityscape that shows Allenberg computer building mm-hmm. with the contrast between the orange windows and the rest of the building. That's dark. Really cool looking. And yeah, I like that when there are scenes where there's not a lot of action happening, it takes place in a bunch of different locales. You have Allenberg's fancy suburban house where the lawns aren't just mowed, they're manicured. And that scene honestly was kind of confusing because I was trying to figure out who those people were that were kidnapping him and saying, she needs to talk to you. I think we were supposed to think that was Arella, maybe, or I did think it was Arella, but I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be Marta and those were her Her goons. goons. But there were a number of places where it in retrospect would have been nice if it slowed down and gave like a one sentence explanation of like, you know, why Allenberg was getting robbed if he was working with Eric and that's why he needs to be arrested. You don't enjoy that though, like later when you figure it out? I both enjoy and resent it. Yeah, it's like in a movie or a TV show, right? We're just like, what the fuck is this happening for? And then later you're like, oh. But it's not like a, oh, I get it. It's a, well, maybe this is what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) I think I can kind of retcon this into making sense, but 
I'm doing a lot of the heavy lifting here. Yeah, no, I was pretty sure those guys were, were Marta's goons. I think they were. I think we, we maybe have seen that one guy before. Yeah, we should have talked about him with the sartorially speaking. He's got a, uh, a He's green, got a giant green beret. Is it green? I remembered he was wearing a beret. In my mind, it was uh, pink. I might just be thinking of that Prince Song raspberry beret. Oh, yeah, I also forgot to talk about, uh, what was the, the overly talkative lady? Sally Liab. Sally Liab's uh, puce and pink getup. Mm-hmm. Pink shirt and puce pants. Yeah. It's a lot of alliteration, a lot of peas. It is for what I think I would have seen if I had seen that pre-colors unless they were specified. I would have thought she was doing a Leno denim on denim thing. Canadian tuxedo. Mm-hmm. Mm. Hey, Corey, what do you think Jay Leno's favorite metal band is? Denim! They're <laughs> <laughs> like Venom, but with a D. Oh, jeez, that's bad. Bad meaning good, like Run DMC, right? Sure. Thank you. Uh-huh. Well, Corey, I have just one further question I have to ask you. In the year of our Lord, 1991, and the month of our Lord, May, what was Aqualad probably up to, Corey? Wapoo! Wow. What a month for technology May of 1991 was. We've talked a fair amount about Aqualad's participation in the nascent internet mm-hmm. and all of that. So we know that he is certainly a technology-interested person. This month has him really geeking out, not on some internet-related things, but with electronic music. Mm. Is he listening to Kyberpath? Uh, no, they, can't, they unfortunately came out several years after. Ah. Uh. Probably late 2020s. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, they're very future. Anyway, in May of 91, two products came out. One of them was the Visual Basic programming language from Microsoft, which uh, allows people to pull things like buttons and stuff visually, you know, to make a program, um, Mm -hmm. as well as coding. And so he was working with Visual Basic to put together a little program that allowed him to um, use his MIDI-connected instruments with his computer to record music using his brand-new Sound Blaster sound card that uh, also came out that month, which was the first stereo sound card for PCs back when you needed to buy a sound card for a PC. Didn't Sega have something like that? Wasn't that, like, one of their big selling points? There was a Sega product that came out around that time, too. Pretty cool. Yeah, but the Sound Blaster was the first stereo one. That's a pretty cool name. Well, that may be one thing that Aqualad was up to in May of 1991. But it wasn't the only thing. The other thing that Aqualad was probably up to was trying to make sure that Eric Forrester was really dead. Not only did this comic book end on a fairly ambiguous note, but as we did learn, people could just modem things over to each other willy-nilly. So Aqualad was a little bit concerned that maybe in his final moments, Eric Forrester had modemed himself elsewhere. And he had a clue that he heard on a news broadcast that made him very suspicious that Eric Forrester was up to his old tricks again. Oh, no. So one thing that Aqualad was up to was investigating, following down a lead in Bethesda, Maryland, at the Bethesda Naval Hospital, because he heard reports that George H.W. Bush was suffering from what he thought were 
erotic heartbeats. <laughs> Almost spit my beer out. <laughs> so he was looking at these printouts and he was just like, oh, I'm looking at these cardiac charts. They're a little horny. I don't know if I would necessarily qualify these as erotic. What? How do you? <laughs> and uh, eventually he, uh, he realized that he had misheard. It was erratic heartbeats, not erotic heartbeats. So uh, he realized that this was not the handiwork of Eric Forrester. After all, this was just George H.W. Bush having a bad ticker. Oh, man. So that's what Aqualad was probably up to. Checking out the heartbeats of a president whose name is an anagram for a huge berserk rebel warthog and finding that his cardiac charts were insufficiently horny. Damn. You've been reading too much erratica. <laughs> no such thing, buddy. <laughs> it's what you call it in the Midwest, right? No, sure. The erratica. <laughs> it's the Chicago way. <laughs> hey, I got a deep dish pizza with some extra erratica. It's, uh, call it the Annas Nin. Erratica. <laughs> you know what I think about uh, that erratica? Mm. Nice. <laughs> oh, let that ass one. Well, Corey, thank you so much for joining me and talking about this comic book. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I will sift through it and I will find a podcast somewhere <laughs> in this hour and a half of ramblings. Oh, Godspeed. Probably. Mm. We'll be back next week to talk some Defenders in an episode that we are recording tomorrow. <laughs> so we'll see if we are able to be a little bit more sensible by then. Oh, sure. I'd be surprised. Yep. But, you know, hope springs eternal. Yep. In the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294. Or, as this is the future, you can modem us a message mm. at ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up on the internet, various places, you know, your, your Twitter, your Facebook, your Tumblr, LinkedIn, seacaptainsonly.com. The website for the new Marmaduke movie apparently came out three months ago. Um, what? Yeah, there's a new Marmaduke movie. It's got J.K. Simmons in it. And Pete Davidson as Marmaduke. Corey, why do they keep making Marmaduke movies? And why don't we know about them sooner? <laughs> I don't know the answer to either of those questions. Mm. Anyway, you can find us on the internet probably, but if you can't, there is one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. We'll be in there. We always have been. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? Oh, geez, man, I don't know. If this Manhattan wears off, I might take a page from Aqualad's book and brush off those VB visual basic skills and uh, write a little thing that's going to go grab all those reviews and show us the nice ones when we're sad. Oh, that's like, a nice time. Like a random, you just hit a button and see, see something somebody said about you that was nice. Yeah, see something nice, say something nice. Boom. That's a policy we can all get behind. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to be a narc like Jericho. Nope. Just uh, see something nice, say something nice. I like it. Me too. How about you? What are you doing in people's heart? I'm going to be rewatching House Party 3 to see the performance of TLC as Sex as a Weapon. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't revisited the uh, House Party franchise in quite some time, and I'm curious as to how it holds up. Honestly, I suspect pretty good. Yeah, that's been 
ages and ages since I've seen any of those movies. Yeah. I'll probably take a break from my attempt at coding to <laughs> hang out and watch that with you. Thanks. I think that'll be fun. Cool. If you would like to help support the show, you can uh, check us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material. There is the podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There is also a whole bunch of other stuff up there. There are video reviews of classic comic books. I recently made one talking about the first few issues of The Champions, which is a really fun series. Also made some about the series House of Mystery, specifically the issues that had the H-dial in them, featuring Robbie Reed. Those have been fun to talk about. There's also other stuff up there, too. I've made a number of videos of me unpacking the comic book collection that I inherited recently. I've gone through now 12 of the 14 boxes that I got. Wow. And uh, I've made a little video about each box, so you can check out those unboxing videos if you want. And there's also a whole bunch of other stuff up there, various bonus podcasts that we've made over the years for our listeners. All that stuff is up there as a thank you for our supporters for making it possible for us to keep doing the show. So thank you for that. You are the best. You really are. If you would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, Corey, you got any idea how people might go about that? Sure. Well, what you got? Man, on the spot, huh? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, first thing that comes to mind is uh, leaving a review, you know? That's a nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. And don't be like, uh, you know those Yelp reviews where people are like, I went to this restaurant and it was closed, one star. Yeah, that's garbage, man. Yeah, don't do that. I've been reading some, like, recipes online, and... There's a thing that I've noticed where people are like, yeah, so I made like five substitutions and this came out like shit. What the fuck? Yeah. Have, so, you, have, you, not, have you ever read any of those? Oh, yeah. Where people are like, so well, I didn't have any eggs, so I just used extra flour instead. And then this cake came out like garbage. It's like, yeah, because you fucked it up. Yeah, two stars. So, yeah, basically, if you don't like the podcast, it's because you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I wasn't suggesting that. I, was I saying, am. I was saying, like, don't listen to a different one. <laughs> Oh, don't listen to somebody else's podcast yeah, and, then, and leave us a negative review because just because you didn't have any eggs. Yes. So that'd be great. You know what? Huh. Here's an example of a review that somebody left recently oh, that awesome. made me very happy. Yeah. It's a little bit longer, but it's, it's very nice. So there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of deep cuts in here. Deep cuts. The title of this review is, What Happened? Oh. Five stars. That's the important bit. You leave a review, you gotta leave five stars. Otherwise, the algorithm's just going to throw it away. Yeah, it won't work. Yeah, it'll go right in the trash. Tighten Up the Defense is a podcast that goes through Teen Titans and Defenders comic books. Hosts, Hub and Corey, are two macho men that get your heart a-pumping, get the party jumping, and yet spend a lot of time talking about fashion. And then there's Rick, who never minds singing them into the minutia. I love Tighten Up the Defense because any episode can contain one or more of the following. Synopses? Titans? Defenders, Offenders, Bozos, Suckas, Timestamps, George Papadopoulos, Ezekiel P. Shadow Maven, Corey, your spelling, Corey, Coriander's spelling, wow. Hulk Rules, Empaths, Trustworthy Rich Men, Dropkicked Jackets, Gerbils, Bears, Bird Enthusiasts, Future Editor Hub, Abslantis, Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers, <laughs> Bears! 
names and gong sounds. I wouldn't describe Tighten Up the Defense as a pie made out of steel, by which I mean I wouldn't like it. It's more like a Twinkie or Hostess fruit pie. You get a big delight in every bite of Tighten Up the Defense. I could say that I found Tighten Up the Defense here on iTunes, but the truth is, I found this podcast in my heart. And maybe, just maybe, if you look in your heart, you'll find it there too. Holy cow, that person has listened to this show. They really have. That is Christopher LG. Dang. Thanks, Christopher LG. Yeah, so you don't have to leave a review that elaborate, although it would delight me if you did. But uh, yeah, leave a five-star review like Christopher did, and uh, then it will make me happy. (laughs) Don't you want to make me happy? Oh, that warms the cockles of my heart. Yeah, mine too. If we're in our own hearts, we're probably getting a little toasty right now. Yeah, we're enjoying uh, seafood stew. Cockles are yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, cockles are shellfish. So potentially, we could be having some kind of a chiapino. That's a weird there. fucking expression. Warm the cockles of my heart. Yeah. It is a little bit weird. It is also odd to think that when we were warm, because we were in people's hearts, we would make a seafood stew. That's not something I generally think of as a warm weather dish, but yeah, fuck true. it, I, I'd eat it. Hey. Maybe make a chowder, too. Yeah, I like well, making a chowder. Oh, yeah, you make a good one. Thank you. You're welcome. So the other thing you could do, in addition to leaving a review, uh, just t- uh, talk to somebody. About the show. Yeah. Tell them you like it, and they, if you think they'll like it too, you know, let them know. And if you're not sure if they'd like it or not, give it a try. Yeah. Just do your best. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah, nobody's going to hate you, probably. That's probably the worst that could happen. That is probably <laughs> highly the worst unlikely. that could happen, but I don't see it happening. Yeah. I mean, talk to somebody probably that you, like, don't, if they have a no soliciting sign. Oh, yeah, leave, don't talk don't, to leave, anybody leave with alone. a no soliciting sign. That's totally uncool. Do you think no soliciting signs mean different things in England where a solicitor is like, isn't that what a lawyer is called there? Yeah, no attorneys. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think signs like that are more prevalent there than they are here or less? Oh, they probably got a different word for no popping in or something. (laughs) No lorries in the boot. Wait, the boot's the trunk of the lorry, isn't it? Yeah, you don't want to have a truck in your trunk. It's too much junk. It's confusing, if nothing else. Yep. So probably that's what your sign says. Yeah. No biscuits in your lorry. Yeah, so, I mean, you can tell your friend or your relative or, or your coworker, whoever. Oh, man, you guys want to learn about what they say in England? <laughs> you should listen to this podcast. Do you think that the British equivalent of junk in the trunk is biscuits in your boot? I don't see how it would be anything else pretty much gotta be yeah goodbye bye holy mackerel you get to make smaller drinks next Um, you ready? Sure. Well, oh, wait. Probably Let me open this. Yeah. Noisy beverage. Oh, Unless yeah. you want the quality sound. No, no, that, that's okay. I can, uh, I can, uh, put it in and post. <laughs> that was some good Foley work, Corey. Thanks.
I'm not much of a voice actor, but when it comes to sounds, oh, and accents. Mm, you're a real Michael Winslow slash Dick Van Dyke. Is there somebody better than that accents than Dick Van Dyke? Who's the uh, that British actor that's in those uh, movies? Sean Coogan? Uh, Stephen Coogan. Stephen Coogan. Does he do a lot of accents? Oh, I imagine. He does a British accent pretty, pretty well. Pretty well. Yeah. Almost better than me. Wow. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway.